This event was recorded live at the 2011 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Thank you. Uh, good evening and welcome to the Peppers Theatre here at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Uh, my name is Ali Barr from Creative Scotland. Um, can I just ask you to quickly check that your mobile phones are off or on silent or uh, airplane mode if you're rich and you've got an iPhone? Um, tonight's event is a game of two halves. Um, the first half is going to be a um, whirlwind tour around the life and works of a self-proclaimed Dundonian legend and we'll meet his uh, poor downtrodden biographer. Uh, the second half, um, we're going to see all this brought to life by um, three extremely talented and very funny actors. We had a run through earlier on, and I can promise you it's something special. And they're off the telly. <laughs> so uh, we've got a lot to get through, so we'll just crack straight on with the first turn of the evening. Please welcome Neil Forsyth. Good evening. Thanks very much for coming along. Um, I will briefly introduce Bob Servant. So I'll to start off for the benefit of anyone here who has never heard of Bob Servant, and I hope desperately that's a significant minority because otherwise the next 45 minutes could be absolutely excruciating. But <laughs> presuming that most of you have heard of him, I'll give you some background. He's 62 or 64 years old, depending what edition of the book you happen to own. He's from Dundee. He made a huge amount of money in Dundee's cheeseburger wars, which uh, Bob refers to as notorious, but they've been cruelly overlooked by the history books over the years. So he now lives a very generous retirement in Brotty Ferry, where he's got two main hobbies. One is checking his respect levels in the local bars, and the other is this long-time pastime of chasing skirts, which is something that Bob's been dedicated to since a very young age. But I can't really introduce Bob Servant any better than he describes himself, and recently he described himself as two parts Des Lynham, one part Mandela. So <laughs> on that confusing image, uh, I'll go into today's first reading. So this is from Bob's uh, autobiography, Hero of, Hero of Dundee, the often overlooked second Bob Servant book, don't worry about that, but they'll be available after if anyone wants to double up. Um, and this is really referring to Bob's traumatic childhood and it talks about his mum and dad. Hero of Dundee, the premise of the book is that Bob feels he should be the hero of Dundee and he can't understand why he's not. Um, no one in Dundee thinks of him as any kind of hero, let alone the biggest hero in Dundee. So his autobiography was his attempt to understand why that's happened. And he started off looking for answers in his incredibly traumatic childhood. So this chapter is called Mum and Dad. Dad wasn't around much growing up. He told Mum and I that he was working on the North Sea oil rigs, which sounds impressive enough, but this was the 1950s. <laughs> oil wasn't discovered in the North Sea until 1971. For a while, Mum and I clung to the theory that Dad was a visionary. Unfortunately for us, he was a bigamist. <laughs> she should have guessed. He'd head off for two weeks with his swimming trunks, a sieve, and a copy of the Racing Post. Even as a nipper, I remember thinking he must be pretty good at his job to get much oil with that gear. <laughs> Dad's other family lived in Monifeath, and I always respected him for that, not having them too close to home, <laughs> and rubbing me and Mum's faces in it. He told us all about them eventually, which was pretty tough, and it must have been one of the worst anniversaries he and Mum had ever had. <laughs> it was annoying not having Dad around, but as he explained, the 15-minute bus journey from Monifeath was pretty boring. And to be fair, he always came back for his birthday. He'd arrive all excited, and we'd have to get out the presents we'd got for him. It was the one thing that I remember him being very strict about. The presents weren't allowed to be homemade, and we had to give him the receipts with him, in case he wanted to take them back. I remember one, Mum once gave him a pink shirt, and Dad said he wasn't even to go through what he called the pretense of taking it out the wrapping. <laughs> he was always using words like that, and I greatly admired him for it. I remember the day my dad died very well, largely because it was the day he died. I was sitting at my desk at school, and I spotted Mum in the corridor. She'd been called into the school a few weeks before, after I was involved in a misunderstanding in religious studies. 
I thought that nonsense and maybe cropped up again, but no. She was there to tell me Dad had kicked the bucket. Mum said the timing was awful because her amateur dramatics group were about to start a two-week run of Oliver Twist at the bowling club. So I was to go and see Dad's other family and sort out the funeral. It was a lot of responsibility for a 10-year-old. <laughs> but I think Mum must have followed the Sir Alex Ferguson policy of if they're good enough, they're old enough. <laughs> Plus, to be fair to Mum, she was doing well with the amateur dramatics at the time, despite that ridiculous stage name. The editor's note, see the Dundee Courier, 5th of November, 1954, ribeye servant sizzles again. <laughs> For Oliver Twist, Mum had been given the part of Fagin, <laughs> which is a big ask for any actor, let alone a woman. After school, I caught the bus to Monifeath and I went round to see Dad's other family. His other wife wasn't home, just a lot of people I didn't know, and they told me it would be Saturday morning for the funeral. There was a depressing air about the place and I just wanted to get out, but I feel bad saying that because it was a nice house and Dad had obviously put a bit of time into the garden. The funeral was a strange old day. Mum had to go straight to a matinee, so she was in her full Fagin costume. <laughs> which I was a bit uncomfortable with. But I soon forgot about that when Dad's other wife arrived. Now, I knew that her nickname was Bazookas. And I presumed she was maybe in the army. But when she walked into the church, I saw that she most definitely wasn't in the army, and that wasn't why she was called Bazookas. I'll never forget the minister's face when he came out to see the front row, me, Fagin, and Bazookas. <laughs> he must have thought he was part of a joke. And to be fair, he put on a decent show under the circumstances. After the funeral, Mum and I had to rush off so she wasn't late for the matinee, and I never saw Bazookas again. Sometimes I think Dad deliberately died just so I would meet bazookas and learn about women. Usually, though, I think it would probably have worked out better for me and Mum if you hadn't met bazookas at all. The morning after the funeral, I went downstairs, gave Mum a hug, and told her that now it was me and her against the world. She agreed that things weren't looking too good for me, but said it was unfair to drag her down with me. <laughs> That was mum all over. She had a real can-do attitude, and I always respected her for that. Oh, that's my questions out of the window now. Um, to go back to the spamming thing, um, do you want to explain a little bit about what, what that is? I mean, what the yeah. relationship was and so on. So the first, so delete this at your peril, was the, which was the first Bob Servant book. It, um, it's based around genuine emails I swap with spam merchants from around the world who are basically all the people that will be in your junk folder offering you various things. And I wrote back um, as Bob Servant. So originally I was just, I just created an email account in the name of Bob Servant because I didn't want to use my own name for obvious reasons. And then the spammers would ask me about my life and the character kind of grew organically through there. So really Bob Servant from the start has been co-authored by some of the internet's worst charlatans. But, uh, <laughs> So that, that's really what happened. So it was uh, spam emails from the start, and then we moved into uh, the second book, which was the, the autobiography. And then the radio series that any of you might have heard was an uh, adaptation of the, of, the, of the emails, obviously. In the, um, in the exchanges, the, uh, oddly, one finds you, you eventually find yourself almost siding with the spammers because they're just they're desperate pleas and, and grasping, yeah. like, you know, just, OK, don't send me $500, send me $50. Um, did, did that surprise you that they would, they would keep it going so long? Yeah, they, oh, they just keep going. And I think for them, it gets to the point where they're like, well, you know, we've been so far. I mean, some of these exchanges went on for months. It's a bit embarrassing to admit. But yeah, I mean, months and months. And most of the editing in the book was actually me just chopping it down uh, to a reasonable size. So yeah, I think it got to the stage where they thought that Bob's servant was probably mentally ill. And, <laughs> it, you know, he's by definition, he would therefore be unpredictable, and maybe he'll accidentally send the money at some point. So they would just <laughs> cling, cling on for a long time. 
and the money they'd ask for would go down and down until it just hit embarrassing levels. Well, there's this one that ends, um, so I'm going to have to swear, but um, it's, uh, I think it's a Russian, a Russian girl who just ends with, uh, fuck you, to me has bothered to read your delirium. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, okay. it's the point to give yeah, up. Yeah. Could have been a title, that, I think. Um, yes, possibly. Um, your publisher is in the room if you want to suggest that. Yes, that's fine. We'll have um, just to sort of to float a nice easy cross and feet and nod home, has, um, has Bob had any other attempts at creative writing? It's creative writing, very, very smooth. Effortless link there to the next reading, um, <laughs> which is... Uh, <laughs> I mean that as a compliment. These are the jokes. Yeah, that's it. The, the lady, the second reading, this was a bit of creative writing by Bob directly, and this all came about as a result of Lady Chatterley's Lover, or as Bob calls it, the famous saucy novel, um, which he read. And when Lady Chatterley's Lover came out, it was a thing of great excitement in Brotty Ferry and Dundee, um, especially amongst Bob and his neighbour Frank. So first reading I'll do is from the autobiography when it's a bit of background about the excitement they had when Lady Chatty's lover popped onto the scene. Frank and I went up to Brotty Ferry Library and ordered Lady Chatterley's lover. And oh dear God, the atmosphere was appalling. Watching the old bird behind the counter get Lady Chatterley's lover from the shelf to the desk using a pair of spoons. <laughs> was one of the most painful hours of my life. <laughs> but when I offered to help, she said I'd done enough damage already and gave me a look that could kill an owl. <laughs> me and Frank led, read Lady Chatterley's Lover in an afternoon. We read the boring bits together, and when it got saucy, he'd go outside and we'd take turns and then pass it through the letterbox. <laughs> when we finished, we sat down on the couch and both thought the same thing. We can do better than that. <laughs> no, that's not right. I was thinking, I can do better than that. And Frank was probably thinking, I wonder what Bob's thinking. <laughs> so the result of that thought, that they could do better than that, was that they then attempted to uh, write their own book. Sorry, Bob wrote his own book. Uh, Lady, now he called his one Lord Dundee's Lover. And he only ever managed to write one page. He got distracted towards the end. And he said he can't get back into it now because he's lost the flow. But it's one of the great regrets of his life that he never completed this book because he thinks it would have been a saucy novel to end all saucy novels. So, just brace yourselves. This is Lord Dundee's Lover by Robert Servant of Brotty Ferry, Dundee. Oh, it's yourself, said Lord Dundee as he opened the door. Lord Dundee was a handsome bastard of a man. Great big muscles, nice hair, and a good smile and teeth, and big muscles. He opened the door and in walked a very nice woman indeed. Hello, Lord Dundee. My name is Victoria Magnolia, said the woman. She was a fantastic woman in both looks and figure. She had lovely long blonde hair like the sun, and nice eyes, and there was nothing at all wrong with her face. <laughs> and also her legs. And you could see down her top a bit, but not in a bad way. And there was nothing wrong with the bit you could see. Well, 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 Victoria Magnolia, said Lord Dundee, laughing in a way that showed he was not under any pressure whatsoever. Well, well, well. Oh, Lord Dundee, said Lady Magnolia, who was also a lady, but not because she was married to Lord Dundee, because she wasn't. His wife had died in the war, and her husband was just a wee guy. And anyway, he didn't have any legs because of the war also, so it didn't matter. But he was wee anyway, even despite the legs. And he was hardly a patch on Lord Dundee, who had long legs, but in proportion. Well, 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 said Lord Dundee. 
and behind him was all the heads of the deers and wolves that he'd killed <laughs> when he was hunting up in the highlands around the Inverness area and also in other parts of the highlands as well. You're a sight for sore eyes, Victoria Magnolia. I'll tell you that for free. Victoria Magnolia was a sight for sore eyes, all right. She was bloody gorgeous. And she didn't take herself seriously. But that's not to say she was always telling jokes. She laughed at Lord Dundee, not making fun of him, but in admiration. And she put her hand over her, her mouth as if to say, whoops, well, well, well. <laughs> said Lord Dundee and he said are you looking for this and he took off his gloves and hung them on the head of one of the deers he had shot and then he was ready and Victoria Magnolia thought oh oh and then there was a cliffhanger That's it. <laughs> It's a great loss, great loss to Scottish literature, but yeah, that's as far as it got, unfortunately. It's a great gain for Dan Brown, I believe that's, that was the sound of the <laughs> section of his. Um, Bob is surrounded by, uh, you touched on in one of your answers earlier, a, a rather unique cast of characters that are sort of centred around Stewpot's Bar. Could you tell yeah. us about them? Yeah, well, I, I kind of gave him a, a little gang of cronies uh, in the spammer email. So Frank's this kind of big pal. Frank's an next-door neighbour who kind of worked for Bob in the cheeseburger vans and the window cleaning and everything else. And Frank um, essentially has been bullied by Bob for 50 years and he's caught in this abusive relationship where he can't get out and there's a bit of love there as well. Um, and he's very much Bob's foil, um, comic foil in the spam book and also in Hero of Dundee. And the others were kind of Tommy Peanuts, a man who's not got over his divorce from 1987 where his wife ran away with a man from Lockheed with a Sierra and a nice line in sarcasm, <laughs> as he puts it. And um, his other pal was Slim Smith, who's just the biggest man in Brotty Ferry. Get, they get a bit basic, actually, when it gets to the smaller characters. It's quite one, one definition. Chappie's his arch nemesis. is very much his arch nemesis. Chappie bounds about in a lot of nice v-necks, which really gets in Bob's goat, and he's... Uh, got a lot of respect and brought you ferry because of his role at the golf club so uh, so Chappie's very much an enemy and really yeah it's a little collection of characters that in the spam books may, and then have kind of survived through the, the other book. Um, Bob reached a much wider audience when the um, when the book the first book was dramatized on uh, Radio 4. Yeah. Can you tell us a wee bit about how that came about and who was involved? Well uh, it came about by a very clever man from BBC Scotland called Owen Bell uh, who thinks here but he BBC Scotland picked up on the, on the books talked about adapting it um, and you know we're hoping that something will happen with TV but certainly the emails lent, lent themselves very well to radio so it was a it was a program we put together first for Radio Scotland and then Radio 4 picked up it and, and repeated it but um, it was a fantastic experience Brian Cox some of you might have heard came and played Bob uh, Brian's obviously from Dundee so that was the, the big pool with him. He, I, I was living in New York at the time, and as was Brian, and I, I went, I kind of knew a guy who knew him, and I went to watch Dundee United game over there, gave him the book and managed to persuade him to then pass it on to, to Brian Cox. And uh, we kind of got word back that, that Brian liked the book and he found it very funny, and if they were going to do anything with it, he'd be interested in being involved. So he came to do it. And we thought, oh, that's just great. You know, he's, 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 he's read the bit. And then we sent him the scripts. He said, oh, very funny. He came. So he turned up. And it was, I don't know if anyone ever saw him in question time, but he had the big bust up with David Starkey, Brian Cox, last year. But he came the night, the night after that. And I think he'd had a big dinner with Dimbleby after. So he turned up and he, and he clicked. And it turned out he probably hadn't maybe done as much research as we thought he had in terms of looking at the scripts or knowing quite what was going on. So, but he still <laughs> threw himself into it. And he was brilliant. And it was only later, we went for a drink, he confessed to me. He hadn't actually read the book. He'd been sitting in his apartment in New York and he'd heard uh, kind of guffaws of laughter from the toilet. And he thought, better, something he should probably investigate. And it was his teenage son who picked up the book off the pile and just needed some reading matter while he was in the bathroom. <laughs> and he decided to read Delete This at Your Peril. And so that was what happened. So I owe it all to the fact that Brian Cox's son needed to take a dump, if I may be so bold. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, you're going to start from somewhere. You might as well start from there. So, um, Just to sort of uh, cue up the next part of the show, um, 
Bob is returning to the internet. He is, very much. So this uh, is a shameless plug, well, a shameless plug, a world's premiere, I'd call it, but this is from, <laughs> this is from the new Bob Servant book, um, which is coming out kind of uh, around the 1st of November. It's going to be called Why Me? The Very Important Emails of Bob Servant. Uh, it's another collection of emails which I've greatly enjoyed writing. Various new forms of spam that Bob's thrown himself into very energetically indeed. So I'm going to try and do a short reading from my crumple notes of the new book. So this is from <laughs> this is from an exchange called Bob the Oil Man, where Bob was contacted by an African spammer who pretended to own an oil company, and he was he was as usual it was a kind of strange front, but really just wanted Bob's bank details. And Bob latched onto this oil thing, a couple of reasons. First of all, he saw it's a chance to make money. And secondly, so it's a chance to, as he put it, knock Aberdeen right off its perch. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob hatched a plan where he was going to import a huge amount of oil to Dundee and sell it on the cheap. So the spammer obviously couldn't believe his luck. He had this idiot who was willing to pay all this money for oil that didn't exist. So things progressed. Bob just got fascinated with the minutiae of the whole deal, as he often does. So as the spammer asked for money, Bob was far more fascinated and can you, what's the name of the captain who will sail the tanker? <laughs> what, you know, what kind of guy is he? I want to get a feel for him. Um, what's the name of the ship? So the spammer said that the ship was called the SS Edmund and the, the captain was called Captain Newman. Bob couldn't contain himself and phoned up the Dundee Courier and they got them interested. So he then wrote to the spammer with great delight saying, we've made the paper. And he attached this newspaper article from the Dundee Courier, which may or may not be genuine. <laughs> so this is what he sent to the spammer. The Dundee Courier, January the 25th, 2011. Dundee in shock oil news. Dundee celebrated today after a local businessman pledged to create an oil industry to rival neighbouring Aberdeen and bring untold riches to the troubled city. Brotty Ferry entrepreneur Bob Servant, well known from the city's so-called cheeseburger wars, has struck a deal with African giants National Oil to flood the city with cheap oil. This is the moment Dundee have been waiting for, said Servant today from Stewpot's Bar. Aberdeen have been a smug thorn in our side for too long. And it's time for Dundee to grab a slice of the pie while it's still hot. I'm doing this for the city, and it's all gravy from here. Servant claims National Oil will begin sending vast quantities of oil in the next few weeks, delivering 50,000 barrels at a time in their famed super tanker, the SS Edmund, crewed by 200 men and captained by a man Servant describes as the world-famous Captain Newman. Captain Newman and his men are the best in the business, simple as that, says Servant. They could sail here blindfolded, and knowing Captain Newman as I do, he probably will. <laughs> Servant says he'll import enough oil for Dundee's own use, as well as a surplus amount to sell to other Scottish cities. Because we're getting the stuff for peanuts, we can undercut Aberdeen to our heart's content, said Servant. Edinburgh will be like a rat up a drainpipe. <laughs> And I think we'll all enjoy seeing Glasgow come to us cap in hand. I'm in two minds on Perth, as I'm sure we all are. <laughs> a spokesman for Dundee City Council hailed Servant as a visionary, while Tayside Police welcome the news. Although usually the illicit importation and sale of oil would be a concern from the lawmaking point of view, said a police spokesman, seeing as we're shafting Aberdeen, <laughs> will be turning blind eyes all over the shop. <laughs> Some people are suggesting that I'm a hero, servant to the courier when he called back late last night. And that's their decision. What I will say is this. I remember Liz Lynch being called a hero. And she came second. That's all I'm going to say. Hopefully you see what I'm saying. Liz Lynch came second. If you read between the lines, you will see what I'm saying. She came second. But did I? That's what I'm saying. Between the lines. 
And so that's the end of the first article. I put a footnote here for anyone that wasn't aware, anyone from, not from Scotland who, or possibly younger than me, who know who Liz Lynch is. Liz Lynch, 1964. Popular Dundonian silver medal winner at the 1988 Olympic Games in South Korea. See the Dundee Courier, 20th of July, 1988. Lynch on top of the world. Dundee's Liz Lynch wowed the world yesterday in the Olympic Games 10,000 metres event. Lynch dominated the race from start to finish. And the crowd gave a standing ovation to the invincible Dundonian. In a light-hearted touch to the day's events, Lynch technically came in second. As nervous Russian runner Olga Bondarenko was so intimidated by Lynch that she ran away from the brave Scot and in doing so inadvertently won the race. <laughs> so things then progress, the spammer obviously gets very excited and he's desperate to <coughs> finally get the deal and get the money from Bob. Unfortunately Bob's fascination with Captain Newman develops into an obsession and he asks more and more questions about Captain Newman and his life, his drinking habits, his womanising and finally Bob essentially bullies the spammer into agreeing that Captain Newman could possibly be referred to as a mad dog. <laughs> the result is this following article in the Dundee Courier which Bob sent on saying everything's changed, it's all gone shit cakes. <laughs> This article, Dundee Courier, 30th of January 2011. Dundee rejects mad dog ship captain. Dundee closed ranks today against the proposed arrival in the city of an oil tanker captained by a man described by his own company representative as a mad dog. <laughs> captain Newman of the SS Edmund was supposed to be delivering the oil that would kickstart an oil industry in Dundee to rival that of Aberdeen. The news of the ship's impending arrival provoked local celebrations earlier this week, but as news emerged yesterday of Captain Newman's true character, Dundee awoke this morning with a sour taste in its mouth. It was National Oil Scottish representative Bob Servant whose comments at a media briefing this morning provoked panic. He's a mad dog, shrugged Servant. That's what they call him. Luke. The guy's been at sea for 15 years, and he's seen the lot. Pirates, tidal waves, fife. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't lose their mind? But yes, he's a loose cannon, I can't deny that. We deal in honesty at National Oil. First and foremost, he loves skirt, continued Servant. He's skirt mad, and he always has been. When I say, lock up your daughters when Captain Newman's about, I really do mean lock up your daughters when Captain Newman's about, because otherwise absolutely anything could happen. He also loves a drink, added Servant, especially rum, which he will do almost anything to get his hands on. And he smokes like a chimney, so good luck to anyone trying to enforce the smoking ban when the skipper's about. He'd rip their head off and throw away the key. <laughs> Servant's words were greeted with dismay and fear by the authorities. A spokesman for Dundee City Council said, National Oil are no longer welcome in the city. Well, Tayside Police released a statement Newman would be arrested on the spot if he arrives in Dundee. A spokesman for the Dundee Skirt Protection League <laughs> said they hated the way he spoke about women and they'd be protesting outside servants' humble Brotty Ferry home if the deal wasn't cancelled. On hearing the news, a shaken servant spoke of his regret. I can't believe he's over. It's over, he said and I'll never see the S. Ed Edmund sailing up the Tay. I feel, concluded Servant, like Colin Montgomery has ripped out my heart <laughs> and put it in his deep freeze. <laughs> Surprisingly, there was no reply to that, and that was the end of uh, Bob Dylan. Right, we are going to do a seamless make-way. Yep. Um, do you want to introduce the, the yes. next bit? Yes. So this I'm very excited about indeed. I'm sure you are as well. Uh, we're going to get some people up that are far more suited to the stage than myself. Um, a lot of people say to me how much they wish that Bob Servant exists. And uh, unfortunately, they often say that shortly after meeting me. 
Um, but I agree with him wholeheartedly, and it's a great delight when I see Bob brought to life in any way, and obviously it was done great in the radio and some other bits and pieces. And tonight we're very lucky that the emails are going to be brought to life by such a fantastic cast, Kirsten McLean and Dave Anderson, two very well respected and recognisable Scottish actors, and the rightly famous Greg McHugh, uh, off the telly, as we said, and I think this is just going to be brilliant. I can't wait to see it. I'm sure you can't either. And I'd like to very quickly thank as well Marilyn Imrie, who directed the radio and has very kindly put this together for us tonight. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. I'll speak to you then. Thank you. Good evening, folks. I'm Bob Servant. And uh, probably the best thing about my emails was all the wonderful scut I met. Over the years, I've been involved with scut from all over the place. Money thief, Lockie, Fife. That's a joke, obviously. <laughs> the Fife bit. My God. Anyway, the best scut on the internet is from Russia. And here's my favourite chat I had with them. From Natalia Romovsky to Bob Servant. Subject... Hello to you, my darling. Hello, my name is Natalia. I am 25 years of age and live in Russia. I hope to find the serious relationship with a man in your country. If in Russia, the men have closed minds and abuse alcohol. Let me tell you a little on my life, which is that I live in Russia with my grandmother after my parents died in the car accident. My grandmother is my guiding light and is everything to me. I hope my email gives you a good feeling. And this is me in the photo, huh? Your friend, Natalia. From Bob Servant to Natalia Romovsky. Subject, Sweet Jesus, Mother of Christ. <laughs> Natalia, I'm 62 years old. I mean, you throw in the fact that it's a height of summer and I'm not spoken directly to a woman of your calibre since the early 1980s, your photos caused me a few problems. After looking at it, I had to spend the rest of the afternoon lying face down on the lino just to cool off. <laughs> Other than that, it's great to hear from you. If you're looking for men who have open minds and don't abuse alcohol, then Scotland's a great place to start. <laughs> And say hello to your grandmother for me, she sounds the absolute business. But if you're going to send me another photo, then make it soft focus or wear a bigger jacket, because that stuff is heart attack territory. Oh, Bob, I am excited by this. I have longed for a man to talk to who is a serious man and is open to an honest relationship. In Russia, I do not speak to the man because I care only for my grandmother. We live in a small town in the Volga region with a beautiful river nearby. During the day, I work with Russian homeless people. I do this because I am a good person. And then I go home and I care for my grandmother. She is important to me beyond what I can ever say. It's just me and her since the accident. Natalia, good to hear from you again. You certainly love your granny, there's no doubt about that. Well done in helping the charity mob. In 1991, I took part in a table tennis marathon for children in need, so I've done my part. Anyway, I think I've just about cooled down from one of your first photos, so do you mind sending me another one? And this may sound a bit odd, but would you mind wearing a hat? Hats are kind of a big deal over here in Scotland because of the famous poem that goes a little something like this. If a lady is in a hat, then she will not treat you like a rat. She will not get too fat or make you dress like a cat, or hit you with a bat, or make you eat a gymnastics mat, or set fire to your flat, as long as she is wearing a hat. Do you like it? You might recognise it. Mel Gibson read it out at the end of the movie, Braveheart. Hello, Bob. I do not have any hits. I am sorry, but uh, next time, I will send you a photo that will, I hope, will make you forget all about hats, okay? Natalia, you're a good-looking woman, but it would need to be a pretty odd photograph if the unit was going to remove any memories of hats I have. <laughs> I'm 62, Natalia. I've got more hat stories than a man with two heads. 
Bob, I did not mean you would forget everything about hats. I mean, you would forget about me wearing one. But don't worry, because I have other questions. What kind of movies do you like? And what sports? I like dancing and aerobics. What do you think of these sports? With respect, Natalia, I think they're shite sports. <laughs> with regard to movies, I like whodunits and anything with a decent plot and brief nudity. I suppose that that makes it my turn on the question front. If I had eight apples and I ate three, and then just when it looked like at the end was in sight on the apple front, some bastard came along and gave me two more apples, and how many more apples would I have? Bob, I do not know if I correctly understand your riddles, but would I be correct to say seven apples? There we go, Natalia, bang on the money. Brains as well as beauty. You're like a Carol Vorderman or a Ted Bundy. Thank you, Bob for being so kind, but I am sorry. I cannot talk with the happiness that I do on a normal day because I have had much sadness. One of the homeless people with whom I work has today died. I saw the dead person today and it is a terrible condition to see someone in. I am now home with my grandmother who I love with all my heart. I will play some happy music, eh? Maybe I will dance to the music for my grandmother and give her some joy. Your darling, Natalia. I'm so sorry about the homeless boy coughing at Natalia. You're right. Dying is a terrible condition. It's one of the worst around. <laughs> but well done for dancing your troubles away. Your grandmother is a very lucky lady to get a private dance from a stunner such as yourself. <laughs> Sounds like things are getting hot, hot, hot round at your house tonight, eh? And the two you deserve it after all you've been through. Have a good one and don't do anything I wouldn't do. Good morning, Bob. I have woken today with only thoughts of you in my heart. It is such a wonderful thing for me to have found a man who I can talk to on a serious level. My grandmother is always telling me that I would make a perfect wife. She says that I am loyal, caring, and I always want to make people happy. How are you today, my dear? I'm well, thanks. Just make myself a wee bacon sandwich. Thanks for passing on your granny's view, but to be honest, with her being old and on the brink of insanity, I'll have to treat her words with caution. <laughs> Putting that aside, I'm still very much up for it. Any more photos? And if you could hat it up a bit, that would be appreciated. Hello, Bob, my darling. Yes, I will take another photo tonight for you. You have not told me so much about your own life. I have a big worry, Bob, that you are married. And perhaps you do not love me as much as I love you. Natalia, your email made me laugh like a drain. No, I don't have a wife. When you live in a small city at my age, the level of available scut is absolutely pathetic because they've all been picked off. You get a little spike after New Year's Eve and April Fool's Day when there's a few trial separations going on. <laughs> but other than that, you're left fighting for scraps, so don't you worry. I'm single, available, and very interested in securing myself a Russian rocket launcher, if you know what I mean. All the best, Bob. P.S. You're the Russian rocket launcher. Hello, Bob. I am so happy to hear this. I hope that it shows you how much you love me and that we should be together forever. I'm going to leave early now from work as I have a message that my grandmother may be unwell. I hope she is okay because she is all I have, apart from you, of course. My dear Bob, I hope you are having a lovely day wherever you are. And I want you to like this photo of me. You've pulled another rub out of the photo bag there, Natalia. What a corker. Look at those eyes. If I had my way, I'd get you to lie down on your back, and then I'd get up a ladder, stick in my swimming trunks, climb up the ladder, get the whole crowd clapping in unison, and do a swallow dive right into your eyes. Then I'd swim down your throat, sneak past your lungs, Grab hold of your heart so tightly that no one would be able to get me off. You've really made my day. Although, of course, I'm very sorry to hear about your grandmother. Let's hope she doesn't get really sick and you end up trying to shake me down for some redis. <laughs> but I'm sure that's not going to happen. <clears throat> Bob, how are you today? Yes, you have stolen my heart. I can confirm it. My grandmother is still a little sick today, so I make her favorite, which is a vegetable salad and soup made from the Chinese hen. 
Here in the Volga region, we have proverb. <clears throat> the way to love of the man passes through his stomach. Therefore, Bob, like you reach to my love, I will also reach to yours through your stomach. <laughs> it is a joke. <laughs> With thoughts of you, Natalia. Thanks so much for that wonderful joke, Natalia. I've probably heard better, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Billy Connolly's good with jokes, but I know who I'd rather see in a bikini. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad to hear your granny's up on the up and up, and uh, that soup should give her a twinkle right back in her eyes, because I know she loves that stuff. And I'll tell you something else, she deserves the biggest bowl in town. Lovely, Bob. My grandmother seems to be better, though she complains a little. Oh, Bob, is this love between you and me now? I live to dance. And I dream that one day we shall dance a waltz. It will look so romantically. I imagine you in a black tuxedo, me in a white dress, and we softly address each other to the eyes. You would like to dance with me in a waltz? Natalia, I would get everything I own to dance a waltz with you at a fancy bash full of bigwigs. The only problem I can see, though, is that I bought my tuxedo in 1978 and it goes halfway up my shins and probably a bit less than halfway over my arse, but other than that, we should be just fine. So you send me the date of the waltz, and a heads up on how to get there. Bob, for now the waltz is just in my head. Thank you for your letter, which made me smile so much. And I need to smile, because my grandmother is sick again. Good afternoon, Natalia. That's bad news in the granny front. Please tell her that I'm thinking of her. I'm thinking of you as well, but not in the same way, so don't worry about that. <clears throat> Bob? Are you there? Oh, Bob, the most terrible thing has happened. The worst nightmare you can imagine. My grandmother has been taken in a critical condition in the hospital. The doctor has given us the list of medicines which we must buy immediately and says that my grandmother needs them immediately. We are poor, Bob, and cannot buy these medicines. I very strongly love you, Bob. Can you help us at all? Natalia! This is terrible and completely unexpected news. <laughs> How can I help? I presume your friends will pay for the medicine, but let me know if you need someone to step in for any other fronts, you know. For your granny, I'd walk fully clothed over hot coals, and for you, I'd walk naked over broken glass. Bob, thank you for writing back so quickly in this time of such drama. Bob, I have no close friends. Some have died from medical worries because we are all poor here in the Volga region. And we have no money for medicines. Bob, I am asking you to help me because I have nowhere else to turn. The doctor says it is now critical and we need the money or my grandmother may have to leave the hospital. Help us, Bob. You are the only one. I love you. Natalia. Natalia. Okay, no problem at all. Could you please do me one wee favour and get your granny to drop me get your granny to drop me a quick email? I just want to ask her something about, you know, about me and you. It concerns uh, a certain someone wearing a ring. And I don't mean in the swimming baths. I'm not gonna say anything more than that, but I think you might know what I'm on about. Bob, this is not the time for such things. Please can you send the money for the medicine immediately? It is very important, Bob. If you really loved me, you would do it without delay. Natalia! There is something I must ask your granny. The fact that she is dying just makes it more vital that I speak to her. Please, can you get her to email me, and then I'll score sort out the money for the situation and the medicine. Okay, Bob. I have spoken to her, and there is a computer at the hospital, and I believe she is to email you today. Eh? The doctor will help her because she is weak and in need of the medicine. From Titania Romovsky to Bob Servant. Subject, hello. I am the grandmother of Natalia Romovsky. I think that you must want to speak to me, but please be quick, as I am in hospital. A big dundee hello to Granny Romovsky! <laughs> it is lovely to meet you. I'm sorry to hear about your ill health and problems and all that, and of course I'll do whatever I can to help. I'm a huge fan of Natalia. You could call me a Natalia nut. And as, uh, you know, as a grandmother, I'd like to hear what you think of me, your servant, Bob Servant. Hello to you, Bob. I think you are a very good man, eh? a very good, strong in the brain and handsome. And I know this from Natalia. She loves you. 
very much. Can you please send the money for the medicine? Granny Romovsky, thank you so much for those encouraging words. Can I just ask, and forgive me for being vain, but has Natalia said anything about my eyes or my body? It's just that they're my big selling point, and traditionally people have raved about them, saying that they are the eyes of Omar Sharif and the body of a young Mugabe. Bob, she has said you have wonderful eyes, but you will have to ask her about the rest. I am sorry. I am too weak to write anymore, but I promise Natalia loves you, and her future is with you. We just need a little help for the medicine. <coughs> Natalia will be speaking to you, I think, because I am clearly too weak. <laughs> From Natalia Romovsky to Bob Servant. Subject, hello again. Hello, Bob. I think my grandmother has now spoken to you. I hope that it is all sorted out. Can you please help us as you said you would? Natalia, I'm afraid I can't speak right now because I am speechless. What is this speechless, Bob? What is wrong? Please tell me because I am sure this is okay. Natalia, I don't really know what to say. I have something quite serious to tell you. Are you sitting down? Have you closed the window to keep out the wind from Siberia? Bob, of course I am sitting down. I am with the computer. Tell me right now, Bob, because we do not have time for this. Okay, well... I'm not sure how to say this, Natalia, but your grandmother just made a completely unacceptable sexual approach. <laughs> I emailed her a big Dundee hello, and what she came back with was, well, X-rated stuff. She started banging on about how handsome she thinks I am and all this stuff about my eyes, and even worse, my body. And, you know, I'm used to chasing skirt, Natalia, but this is a new one even for me. A Russian rocket launcher is exciting enough, but when a granny chucks herself into the mix, things get very confusing indeed. My head's minced, Natalia. I feel like Mystic Meg in a car wash. Bob, you have got this all wrong. I don't understand how you can think this. My grandmother is 90 years old and in, his ho is in hospital dying. This is not true. You have read her words wrong, Bob. She was saying what I have told her about you. And she says she didn't say one word about your body. Bob, stop this because it is wrong. And please send me the money for the medicine. Natalia, you're a wonderful, trusting woman, so I know that this must be very hard for you to accept. But the fact of the matter is, your grandmother is a sexually aggressive woman who thinks she can bat her eyelids and get any man she wants. She's like Cleopatra, or that bird from Murder, She Wrote. And let me say this. <laughs> when you're the one in her crosshair is absolutely terrifying. I feel like your grandmother is watching me through my computer and dressing me with her eyes. Bob. Please listen to me. My grandmother is an old woman who is very sick. She has now shown me the emails she sent and she was giving you the good compliments that I had told her about you. There is nothing there about your body other than your words, so this must be your imagination. Now, Bob, even if you can just send $50 today by Western Union to the details I sent you, at least that is a start. Natalia. You've got no idea how hard it's been for me to write this email, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to bring to an end our relationship. And I'm going to have to use that old cliche. It's not you, it's your granny. <laughs> the thing is, Natalia, yes, maybe your grandmother is old, maybe she's ill, maybe she even exists. And that's all by the by. The fact of the matter is that your grandmother is a grade A sickle and it's very hard not to presume that in some way that'll be rubbed off onto you, but put it this way, Natalia. My grandfather was a grade A gymnast and I'd be pretty confident that I can still do the splits. Do you more or less know what I mean? Bob, you have got it all wrong. What is the reason for this great fear? I should have told you earlier. The thing is, I don't really trust women because uh, I think they can be morally corrupt. Please don't ask me why. Why, Bob? I can help. Well, a woman from Douglas used to make me hold her hand in the street. Bob, this is not unusual for a woman. But if it is not something you like, then I would not do this to you. Do not worry. A woman from Dryborough made me go to parties and stand beside her and speak to her friends. Bob, this is not strange. But we do not have to do this either. A woman from Fintry made me wear a nappy and chase me around Safeways dressed as a deep sea diver. I do not believe you are serious. I share your suspicions. <laughs> well then, 
You are a stupid man, and I hope you suffer misfortune. Touché, Natalia, touché. Take good care of yourself, and good luck with the dancing. Cheers. Okay, folks, next up, I have to be honest with you, I've got terrible problems with my postie, and uh, can I just dedicate this next reading to everyone in the much-troubled Dundee East Postal District? Ah, <laughs> oh, they're in, they're in. From Jean Kitson to Bob Servant. Subject, official offer of employment. Good day, sir, from the UK textile company, Polysmooth. We distribute materials worldwide and are looking for people to assist us. You must have experience and computer access, and please know that everything is absolutely legal. Send your banking information to enter you upon our system. Thank you for your anticipated action. Very respectfully, Jean Kitson. International President of Polysmooth. From Bob Servant to Jean Kitson. Subject, right email, wrong time. Up to my neck in it right now, Jean, but out of interest, where are you from? Your servant, Bob Servant. Mr Servant, we are a British company based in central London. Please send your details and congratulate on your new position. Ah, that explains it. I thought the way you wrote sounded foreign, but it must be Cockney or business talk. <laughs> anyway, Jean, thanks for the offer, and one day I may well join a famous textile distribution company like yours, but right now I've got some legal problems of my own to take care of. Good day, Mr Servant. We hope the problem is not serious, but you can share with me if you think I have to know about it in my position at Polysmooth of Central London. Well, Jean, I'm in more trouble than Hitler. <laughs> Do you know any lawyers? I've got money. Sure, Bob. I can introduce you to my lawyer. He is here in the UK and is one of the very best. What do you need him for? I'm sure he will assist you. Your lawyer sounds perfect. Please forward him the below. To whom it may concern, my name is Bob Servant. As you might know, I was once a Dundee window cleaning legend until someone stole my ladders, which I assure you, I know absolutely nothing about, despite that insurance job nonsense. Since then, I've had far too much time in my hands, and the end result, as you might have guessed, is that I've started to play jokes on my postman. At first it was basic stuff. Sometimes I'd grab the letters from his hand and pretend to be a dog. Other times I'd hide in the roof and chuck a bucket of water over him. Next thing I knew, he'd complain to the police. They gave me a warning, and that really annoyed me, because what do they have to grasp me up for? So then I started hiding in the garden and chucking fireworks at his head. You should have seen his face that time I hit him square in the napper with a Catherine wheel. Anyway, things came to my head last week. I hid behind a tree and jumped out with a hose, but he saw me and somehow found the guts to fight back. He threw his sack over my head, but I managed to get him on the ground and he started squirming away like the weasel he is. And I grabbed his trouser to stop him. He pulled away, but the trousers ripped in my hand as I went for him and the hose, to cut a long story short, the hose went right up his jacksie. So... I threw the sack off my head, realised what had happened, but by the time the postie was hopping down the path, howling away with a hose hanging out like a kangaroo's tail. Anyway, that was that, and these are the charges I face as a result of a moment of madness. Assault, harassment, and extreme embarrassment. I'm in court in two weeks, so the pressure's on. I'm not entirely sure how the in-house lawyer of an international textile company can help me with this, but I'm open to suggestions. Dear Bob Servant, we can help you if you want to help yourself. We are a Christian company and believe in forgiving the past. We will take you on as an employee and then you will benefit from our legal team. All you must do is send all your personal and banking information. You will then be registered as a worker and we can put you through to our best lawyer. Look, Jean, I appreciate your help and it's always nice to meet a Christian because I'm from Dundee, which is largely Buddhist and communist, but... Um, <laughs> I don't actually need a job. I need a lawyer. I need one right away. It's hard to get a lawyer in Dundee this time of year because a lot of them are away to the Mardi Gras celebrations in Brazil. So, <laughs> thanks anyway. I'll try the yellow pages. Best of luck for the future. No, Bob, wait. On this occasion, we are willing to let you speak to our attorney directly. 
All you will have to do is pay him a normal fee for helping you. He is willing to come and argue your case in court, and he is very capable, so you will go free without a ticket. Are you here in the UK like us? Or in another country? Oh, yep. I'm in Blighty, just like you, Jean. I box out of Brotty Ferry, Dundee, and I've got eyes like Omar Sharif. So, before I sign up to your lawyer, can you uh, ask him what his plan is for my defence? Because personally, I think it's very important I had the sack over my head at the time of the so-called assault. If I could see what I was going to do, then how did I know where the hose was going to go? X-ray specs? Okay, Bob, I've spoken to the lawyer and this is his plan. He says that he will file a document saying that you were not feeling well at the time and that you did not do anything intentionally. His travelling fee to Scotland is not much, just £950. Can you send this money today by Western Union? He is also a Christian, and we have agreed that you deserve another chance in life. Stay safe. Jean Kitson. 950 quid to get to Scotland? Is he coming by fucking helicopter? I think it'd be best if you put me in touch directly with a lawyer. Fine. Speak to the lawyer directly. His email is attached and his name is Tim Sanderson. He is a top lawyer and his fee is fair. Good afternoon, Your Honour. I was sent your way by Jean Kitson, the respected Christian and no-nonsense international president of the constantly expanding textile distribution company, Polysmooth. Jean will have filled you in properly. You know, that's her style. But essentially, I'm looking for a crack lawyer to come and save me from some trumped-up charges. I've heard whispers that you're looking at a medical defence, and I like the sound of it. Please expand, and if I like what I hear, I'll retain you immediately. Your servant, Bob Servant. Hello, Mr. Servant. Yes, <clears throat> my client, Jean, has explained things. I'm a good lawyer with a professional degree, and I can get you out of this mess. It would be best for me to come there to Scotland, but I will give you one point now. I'll say you were at fault, but had a mental disorder for more than a month and we'll give them a letter from the psychiatrist hospital. Well, I think with just this point, you are probably already convinced that I am capable to get you out of this. You must send me the first fee to retain me, 3,000 pounds by Western Union. Your lawyer, Tim Sanderson. Tim, thanks for getting in touch. You English lawyers speak in a funny way, but I think I follow your plan. <laughs> by the way, the postie is getting right in my nerves. He knows I can't touch him because of the court case, so he's really rubbing it in my nose by scoring out Bob on my mail and writing Blob. <laughs> Which is hurtful and unfair because I've just got back in at the weightlifting. Bob, just ignore the postman. We will have our chance in court. Are you ready to send a £3,000? I have begun to prepare your files and your case is looking stronger than ever. Ah, uh, you're right about the postie, Tim. But it's hard to ignore him sometimes. You know, this morning, I had a tapping on the window. And when I opened it, he was standing outside watering my plants. And put it this way, that wasn't a watering can, if you know what I mean. I don't know how much more I can take before I do something that I really regret. With regards to the letter for the court, I can't go to Dundee Hospital. I went up there one Christmas to cheer the old folk up. But one of them made a rude comment about my weight, so we started trading insults. One thing led to another, and it all kicked off. And there was a misunderstanding with a cracker. But look, don't worry. If we can't do the medical defence, I'm sure we've got other options. Personally, I think we should stress that the postman's sack was over my head when the, th when the thing happened. Let me know your thoughts, Tim, before I forget. And I'd really like to get Jean a small gift. So could you please send me the head office address for Polysmooth? I can't seem to find it online. Hello, Bob. Okay, we will start out the defence when I come to Dundee in Scotland. Can you please send the £3,000 we agreed? I talked to Jean, and she said you shouldn't bother with a gift. You cannot find the company address because they keep a low profile. Oh, Tim, that is typical Jean, eh? What a wonderful, modest woman. No, 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 I want to send her a present. I think it's only fair, you know, as it says in the Bible, that you have to give people a present if they help you. So please give me the address for Polysmooth. Jean is the international president, and she won't mind me, you know, getting in touch even though it is a business operating in the notoriously dangerous world of textiles, don't worry. She won't worry about that, and I understand they want to keep a low profile. No worries there with the three grand. I'll get that together for you as well. So right now, though, I need to prepare for the postie's arrival. I've got a special plan for him this morning. Bob, never mind about Jean. <clears throat> she doesn't want anything, and it does not say this in the Bible. 
I should know this because I am a Christian and you are not. And forget about the postman because you must not hurt him again. Look, Bob, <clears throat> I won't have time to reply to your message unless you send me the 3,000 pounds. I am a top lawyer, and this is a special deal that you're getting because of your relationship with Gene Kitson. Your lawyer, Tim Sanderson. Bob, I have not heard from you on email today. This is important. Have you sent the 3,000 pounds? Are you there, Tim? Oh, my God. What have I done? Yes, Bob. Yes, Bob. I, I, I am here. How can I help? Oh, sweet Jesus, Timothy. What have I done? Bob, I can only help you if you tell me what is it. Tell me, Bob, and do not use the name of Jesus in this way. It's a postie, Tim. The bloody postie. I have him trapped in the cupboard under the stairs. Don't ask me how it happened. I'm still trying to piece it all together. It started last night when I'd had a few drinks to celebrate Wogan's birthday. All I know is that I woke up in the morning lying in the kitchen floor and heard this moaning coming from the hall. I went out there, opened the cupboard door, and found the postie tied up and looking absolutely terrified. What am I going to do, Tim? He says that if I let him go, he'll just tell people that we had a game of sardines that got out of hand, but can I trust him? Please help me, Tim, and don't be angry. I know I've been a fool. Your friend in need, Bob Servant. Bob, this is a very dangerous situation indeed, and time is ticking away. Send me the fee immediately, and I will get to work in your defence. Hi, Tim. Things have calmed down a bit this end. Uh, I've untied the postie's arms and let him waddle about the house for a wee bit. We had a nice pasta for lunch, and we're umming and arm over pork chops for tonight. So, uh, he says he's not bothered about the fact I'm keeping him here because of how well he's eating, and the fact that he doesn't really like his wife. So, uh, What's my next move? It says in the Bible that if you kidnap someone, you should offer to marry them, but I don't want to marry them. Bob, listen carefully. First, it does not say this in the Bible, so do not worry. Second, you must pay me immediately. Until then, my very last advice is do not hurt the postman in any way because you have already done enough. I will take all my skill to free you from this, Bob. Now wire the money by Western Union. Tim! Thanks for getting in touch. All's well's here, eh? I've been letting the postman out for short walks in the garden. We call it his cry freedoms, which makes us both laugh. <laughs> Your money is in transit, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, I will wait for its arrival. And believe me, Bob, this postman is tricking you into letting him go. We must get him to sign an important legal form, which I have here ready to send you. Hi, Tim. I have withdrawn the money from the bank. Where should I post it? It's important when you send money through the post that you disguise it. So I could either sellotape the money to a piece of card, or I could disguise it by drawing a moustache on the Queen's face of each note. <laughs> but I estimate that that would take up to three weeks. The postie and I aren't really speaking right now. We're outside early on a cry freedom. And he said that I was his best friend, and I got all embarrassed and angry and tied him up again. But, uh, you know, I think he might have meant it. He's not a bad chap, and I'm starting to think that maybe he really won't tell the police. Bob, this postman is getting in your head. Yes, he will tell the police, and they will come straight to arrest you. Western Union is how to send the money, Bob, not post. Hi, Tim. Okay, I'll ask about this Western Union place. Sounds exciting, so thanks for the tip. Anyway, there's no rush, because the postie and I are getting on great guns. I untied his legs this morning, and he's not even mentioned going home. You know, two of us have just been messing about, playing TIG and making up putting courses around the house. <laughs> the only slight issue was over dinner, because I'm a neighbours fan, and he's an animal hospital nut. So today I switched over to neighbours and I could see that he wasn't happy with it. And he let some of his scrambled eggs drop onto the carpet and he said, Oh dear, I wonder if one of your neighbours will help you clean that up. In a really sarcastic voice. I did what you told me, Tim. I just ignored them. Because as the Bible says, ignore someone the first time, but the second time, poke him in the eye. Yes, ignore the postman. He's trying to get into trouble. But no, again, this is not in the Bible. So do not do it. Let me know as soon as you've sent the money. Hi, Tim. It's going to have to be tomorrow for the money because uh, tonight is party time. The postie's friend is having a fancy dress party at the house and he says there's going to be loads of women there from the mail sorting office. So here's the plan. The postie's going as a ghost and I'm going as a cowboy. Are you going to a party tonight, Tim? And if so, what are you going as? No, Bob, I am not going to any parties because I'm working so hard on your case. Forget the party. Go to Western Union like you promised. You can go on the way to the party. Oh, all right, Tim. I'll go to Western Union dressed as a cowboy with my pal dressed as a ghost. Are you trying to get us fucking shot? <laughs> I'll go first thing in the morning, hangover permitting. Bob, first thing in the morning is the least that you can do. 
Morning, Tim. Right, you'd better get yourself a cup of tea because this is a cracker of an email. Right, where to begin? Ah, the party. So we went along to the so-called party and the postie rung the doorbell. Just as the woman opened the door, the postie whipped off his ghost sheet and he was wearing his best gear like proper denim and really nice turtleneck. So there I was, you know, dressed like a cowboy and he was then, you know, dressed in his Saturday best. They were looking at me, looking at all confused. It wasn't a party at all, Tim. He'd arranged a double date with two goers from his work, but thought it'd be funny for me, me old Mr Muggins here, turn up looking like Jesse James. But the worst bit was, he didn't let them in on the joke. So when they asked why I was wearing that stuff, he told them that was what I always wore. <laughs> I was so angry, I couldn't even bring myself to say anything. And we sat down to dinner, me still in the cowboy stuff. Posty was loving it. I tried to make some conversation, but anything I said, he'd just give a yee-haw! Or, sorry we don't have any cow pie! which isn't even a cowboy joke, that's Desperate Dan. <laughs> I was pretty annoyed, and I suppose a little bit hurt, and, you know, I threw a bit of a tantrum. I shouted at the postie that he'd let me down, that I'd trusted him, and he made me look stupid. I went right off on one, and I could, I could see the girls were scared, but I just kept going. Then in the end, there was this horrible silence, and then the postie started whistling the theme tune to Rawhide. <laughs> and you know what, Tim? I laughed, that's right, I laughed. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and so did the postie and so did the girls. We all just started hugging each other and then we were kissing and then one thing led to another, Tim, and well, I won't say any more than that. Tim, it was sensational. It's been a long time since I got properly involved with a bird and I have to say I was getting worried old Bob might not have much in the locker but I was like a kid up the back of the pictures. It was a fantastic night, Tim. And this morning the postie and I had a really, really constructive breakfast. So to cut a long story short, we've decided we're going to live together and spend our time chasing women like a couple of wild cards, thrown on the denim, downing some liveners, heading into town and seeing what happens. Ah, we're probably just two old dreamers without half a brain between us, Tim, but my God, we'll give it a go. Thanks for your help, Timothy, and please thank Jean also. I know you'll both be happy for me, being the kind people you are. As it says in the Bible, all's well that ends well. <laughs> my very best wishes for the future, Bob Servant. Bob, I am glad things have gone well for you, Bob. Now, please send just 500 pounds for the advice I gave you. Ah, oh, come on, Tim. Hands off the party fund. I know that I'm a man of means, but I've got a little extra mouth to feed now, eh? The postie's quit his job, so we can both chase Scott professionally. So I'm afraid I can't pay the 500 quid, but I'm more than willing to act as a reference for any other clients who accidentally kidnap their postman. <laughs> All the best from the wild, wild west. Bob. We're going to the bookshop uh, where you can get books signed and the actors are going to be there as well if you want to chat to them or take a photo or whatever. Um, so it just remains to say thank you to Greg McHugh, Kirsten McLean, Dave Anderson, the director Marilyn Emery and Neil Forsyth. Thanks very much. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.